Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, and welcome to our second installment of Peoria Living, our healthcare podcast here at the Journal Star. I'm Laura Nightingale, health and lifestyles reporter, and I'm joined by Justin Dwyer, who is a sanitarian with the Peoria City County Health Department. Justin, thanks for joining us this morning. Happy to be here. So um, tell me what your job is as a sanitarian. Uh, My job as a sanitarian is, is commonly known as a restaurant inspector or health inspector. Uh, my job is to go in to uh, restaurants and kind of look and check the food general food safety uh, and enforce any of the uh, food code ordinance or state codes. Yeah, so most of us are familiar with those inspections, the letter grades, and the, um, how those play out for uh, in the public sector. So um, tell me a little bit about your training and, and what qualifies you to do a restaurant inspection. So I have a bachelor's degree with uh, 30 hours of bio, or more than 30 hours of biological sciences, which is required by the state of Illinois. Uh, once I was hired into the health department, I spent uh, a little over three months um, on the job training with other sanitarians uh, in doing inspections, reading the code, and um, receiving all the training that I needed in order to do this job. So give me a little bit more insight into um, to that process. Walk me through a little bit of what, when you go into an inspection, when you go into a restaurant, um, what do you do and what are you looking for? So I'm looking for general cleanliness. Uh, I want to make sure that proper sanitation is, is happening. Um, you know, things are being cleaned properly. The dish machine is functioning properly. Employees are washing their hands. Uh, they have clean clothing on. Uh, there's no uh, rodents or anything or pests. Um, basically, just in, like I said, enforcing the food code and making sure the public's going to be safe. And and you have um, what kind of information specifically are you looking for in terms of the guidelines? You have like a checklist, and you're you're marking that down, and that what is what determines the score, like on a point system. Yeah. So currently, we have a uh, it's a forty five um, it's it's a forty five numbers on an inspection form and it's a total of uh, 100 points minor violations and critical violations and basically we're just kind of looking through that and then verifying that the establishment is following uh, everything properly yeah so when you say minor and critical violations obviously that's a very important distinction Mm -hmm. so give me some idea um what are some of the minor um minor violations, what are examples of those, and um, how common are those kind of minor infractions? Minor violations might be anything from, you know, the walk-in cooler seal is damaged, uh, needs to be replaced, you know, some cracked floor tiles, uh, basic maintenance issues that just need to be addressed. Leaky faucets, Um, stuff like that. Leaky faucets, uh, you know, and then cleanliness, some of the cleanliness is on there, um, you know, cutting boards maybe soiled or um you know a knife that didn't get cleaned all the way and was put back uh utensils uh things of that nature and so are those kind of things generally common do you see that a lot in those sort of restaurants or what what are the sort of violations that you do see a lot minor violations um crack tiles maintenance maintenance i would say is is the big one um 
I'll see a lot of those. And then just general cleaning, things that are forgotten, you know, the corner of the floor that has some debris buildup in it or, uh, you know, a cooler seal that needs to be wiped down um, because there's some debris buildup on it. Um, you know, undersides of tables and things like that, things that, you know, kind of out of sight, out of mind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then critical infractions, what do, what do those look like? And then why are they classified as critical so criticals um the reason we we refer to them as criticals is they're they're essentially uh risk factors for people becoming ill and um you know the things you would see would be for example like uh improper hand washing or not hand washing um at all not having uh, a proper concentration of sanitizer water uh which we use to wipe tables down uh to slow or kill off bacteria growth um temperatures uh, items being stored improperly, like raw product over ready to eat that might leak down and then, you know, contaminate and then people become ill. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that obviously being the main concern when we talk from a public, a public safety and a public health perspective is our customers at mm-hmm. risk of, of getting sick. Um, so have you ever worked in a restaurant or in the food service yes. industry? Yes, I did. I actually, prior to doing this, uh, I, uh, I worked in restaurants, ran through some restaurants and worked as a chef for a while. Oh really? Mm-hmm. I, I so I wonder if that gives you interesting perspective because I was I have worked in a restaurant. I was a waitress for a while in college, and I know that like the day that the inspector showed up was always stressful for our staff. Even if we <laughs> even if we like were doing pretty good job at mm-hmm. things, like it just it it it's not always fun for those employees right yeah when when i show up i i do sometimes have to take that in consideration Mm -hmm. that people are very nervous that i'm there um you know i try and say hello to everyone i try and have conversations with people try and put people at ease to do what they would normally do and that gives me an opportunity that if if maybe they're doing something wrong or there's a potential that i can do some correction in, in education which to me is the most important thing because if i if i take the time to educate them then We'll have less violations. It makes my job just a little easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, do you, what what do you do to make them feel at ease? Because I would imagine that it's probably common that people kind of start scrambling and tidying it, up it, as soon it, it as is, you are. It is. Um, I mean, it's. I mean, just small talk. You know, hey, how you doing? How's your day going? Um, always ask what what they're making, what's on the menu, uh, and that helps me on. on two levels kind of an idea of what they're preparing um you know what what the items are what might they uh be prepping how are they going to prep it what kind of utensils might might use um and then just general conversation and um and just kind of you know there's there's a lot of people that that we go into these establishments and you know they remember my name i remember their name i mean i've done you know inspections for them the last couple of years i mean they know who i am and and they're very calm they're not worried that i'm there because they've gotten to know me or or even other inspectors in the past and realized that we're not we're not what people at least in Peoria County were really big on not being the mean you know the mean yell scream type inspectors that's not who we want to be uh, we want to be the people that are educating and helping because if the restaurant's doing it properly um, and and believes in what they're doing then we know the public is going to be safe mm-hmm. yeah so how do you determine um when and where you're going to perform an inspection, right? Because the restaurants don't know in advance no. that you're going to arrive. So can you talk to me a little bit? How do you how do you schedule and how do you determine which restaurant you're going to visit when? So um, at the beginning of the year, we all start with a route. 
and all, each one of the sanitarians are assigned like these establishments. Um, from there, we're we're not micromanaged at all or managed very much from our from our director and assistant director. Um, the way they figure we're college educated, we're more than capable of making decisions on where we want to go and what we need to do. Um, outside of that, we just pick. I mean, honestly, there I have um, a section in West Peoria and a section in Peoria Heights where my inspections take place. And, you know, I might decide that I'm going to go to Peoria Heights and work there in the morning and then West Peoria in the afternoon or and things, too, will will change. We might get a complaint in or, um, you know, somebody's we get calls in saying that they're ill and um, our schedule will completely change and we have to react and, and go address anything that needs to be addressed immediately. Um, so, so you get to the restaurant, you show up um, pretty much by surprise. I don't want to make it sound like you're, you're like trying to ambush them, but you, you show up unannounced, introduce yourself, make your intentions clear, and, and while you're looking for those violations, there is a circumstance um, if, the, if the violation is egregious enough that you like shut, can shut down operation of the restaurant, then in there you have that power? Yes. Uh, if it is considered an imminent health hazard, um, no one has ever shut down based on score. It is what, what we're finding and what the issues are. Uh, for example, if there's sewage backing up or they do not have running water or they don't have hot water, um, if there's a bad enough pest, pest control issue, um, there are certain situations where, yes, um, that we will uh, ask them to close and um, try and get them to correct. Once once it's correct, though, however, usually within 24 hours, we're out back out there. We're getting them open. Uh, our goal is not to close a restaurant. It's not to stop someone from being able to make their living. Our goal is to make sure the public is safe. Yeah, absolutely. So have you had circumstances that you've, that you've had to be in that position? There, there have been a few circumstances. Um, it's mainly been like not having any water or hot water to where you need you need to close and get a plumber out here, get it repaired. And, and there's been times where, where I've, that's the first inspection I've done that morning. We've closed them within like three hours. They've, they've had it repaired, and I'm right back out there getting them open and back up and operating. Yeah, that doesn't sound so bad. And, and you mentioned on that, that kind of list of examples, you mentioned a pest problem, which I think is the thing that maybe consumers are the most worried about, right? Is like rats in the kitchen or something terrifying like that. Does that, do you see like, um, do you see a lot of pest problems in the Peoria area? We, we do from time to time. Um, we tend to see more signs of them than anything else. Um, you know, we'll see droppings um, of different pests and rodents. And it's usually an indication that there might be an issue dig a little further um, and it may be required something that we'll come back and do a recheck so we'll say hey there's some issues here we want you to kind of clean things up and uh, I'm going to come back in you know three or four days and and do a walkthrough and make sure that that everything's there call pest control company different things along that nature yeah and so then those violations are accumulated into a report the score is issued um and for our purposes at the journal star that we get um i think a monthly kind of compilation of those scores that we publish online and in the paper so our readers will be familiar with that kind of work and so something like um the water not working or droppings being found that kind of thing is usually itemized in the in that report Mm -hmm. 
Um, so now tell me when you go, uh, I'm sure you've seen a lot of different things in your experiences um, as a food inspector. Give me an idea. Is there any um, anything that's ever happened to you that has been really surprising that has taken you aback? Um, there was a um, uh, we we had received a complaint um, about um, debris in um, in an ice machine, and so depending on what the complaint is determines how fast I'm going to go out. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if if someone's making a, a minor complaint, I'm not going to rush out versus, you know, okay, well, there could be a potential of a critical violation, cross-contamination. I'm going to go handle this uh, immediately. And went out, we started started looking at the ice. The, uh, the ice had, like, chunks of, like, mold in it. And when we opened the ice machine up, uh, the the entire inside of the ice machine was was molded, um, and of course we take the nece- necessary steps. Uh, we did what's called embargoing the machine, so we we basically said you can't use it. Uh, had somebody come out, clean it up, and within 24 hours they were um, back up and operating. And then I went out a few more times after that just to make sure that um, it was being kept clean and they were keeping up on it. Yeah, I mean, we weren't going to let you get out of this interview without telling at least one <laughs> gross-out story for us. Um, yeah, and, and that is startling. That kind of makes my skin crawl a little bit to think about that. Um, I want to talk a little bit about this, what the standards are for restaurants and for these um, food producers that, that you're inspecting and how that compares to the standards that most of us have in our home. So could you give me a little bit of an explanation of how that compares to like a how you know a typical family would run their household um i think in in the average house um people don't take into consideration um like what chemicals are using i think that's a big one toxic items uh in in a restaurant they're going to use a approved sanitizer uh which would be like a uh, chlorine bleach or a quaternary ammonia uh to wipe countertops down at a, at a proper sanitation uh, proper level of concentration uh whereas i think a lot of people you know will use the clorox wipes or you know windex or 409 or something like that to wipe countertops off um the standards are definitely different in a in a restaurant um they have to minimum have a three compartment sink to wash rinse and sanitize uh whereas most of us you know at home you know you rinse out with some soap rinse it off and then let it sit and dry um, or just toss it into a dish machine um, storing things properly in refrigerators, making sure the raw products are all the way at the bottom. And, and honestly, if you look at most household refrigerators, you know, we have all these shelves up top and then the very bottom, we have bins for our fruits and vegetables, mm-hmm. the things that we're going to eat raw and the eggs are always stored up over them. And I'll admit that it's the same way at my house, um, because it's just the convenience factor and, and how it's designed to store. Um, definitely some differences, um, between in your house and what's expected in a restaurant yeah well i'm interested to hear you say clorox wipes because i did not know that was a no-no i definitely use those at my house and and i'll be honest i use them i use them at my house too (laughs) yes i do make sanitizer solution from time to time at my house but uh clorox wipes are really convenient and it's uh i mean it's a safer alternative than other 
other items that maybe won't have um, any bacterial kill off, but it, it doesn't quite meet what the uh, state requirements are in a in a restaurant. So your experiences as a as an inspector have changed kind of some of your food safety practices at home. Yeah, uh, it is. Um, and then going to friends' houses sometimes I I cringe and then have to you know click it off in my brain going I didn't see that I didn't see that but. Um, and I'm, I'm sure at some point one of my friends will hear this and laugh and know that they've seen me just turn around and walk away. I know. I feel like that would be a dinner guest. I would be really nervous to have at my house. Like, you've really got to be, yeah, forget about having your in-laws over and trying to impress them. You've got the health inspector there. You better be on your best <laughs> behavior, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and also, one of the other things I know um, from my experience working in a restaurant that's really important for them is dating and, and knowing how old things are and, and keep making sure that their stock is really fresh, which is definitely not something that I do at my house when I'm just like, give it a sniff. And I'm like, yeah, that smells like it's okay to eat. So date, date marking is one of those that's kind of um, confusing. Even a restaurant, it, it takes a lot of time and education. Um, with the way the FDA has, has written it in the state adopted, uh, essentially it's seven days, but the day you open it is day number one. And in a restaurant, for example, uh, you might see when you're reading those violations that maybe, for example, date marking was not indicated on like a gallon of milk. Um, once you open that gallon of milk in, in a restaurant under the food code, you have seven days. The first day you open it is day number one, so six additional days from there. Uh, the, the actual writing on there, we're not concerned about because we want to make sure it's not open longer than those allotted days because of for example, like listeria growth, because it's not going to be cooked. It's not going to be heated again or potentially not. And um, listeria is is definitely one of the concerns that we have. And it kind of falls the same as lunch meat and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And, and I guess I'll just off, uh, offer a disclaimer as well, since I kind of made that confession about <laughs> not dating things in my fridge that, um, that you think that kind of thing is not, it's a different standard that most of us have for what we would be willing to feed ourselves versus what we would be willing to mm-hmm. feed a guest or a consumer in a restaurant. At, at home, the sniff test is, is acceptable to a lot of people, but not in a restaurant. <laughs> yeah, thankfully. Um, so I think that, I think that most people are at least peripherally aware of what you do as a as a restaurant inspector um, they, they understand kind of how the grades work and the the coding system but what do you think um, what kind of questions do you get from people or what would you like people to understand about um, your job as a as an inspector then how it relates to cleanliness um. I would say my the number one part of my job is education, and if I can educate someone on how to properly clean, sanitize, maintain, um, you know, understand date marking and storage of toxic items, that that side of uh, the education side is more important than anything. And I truly believe that if all I did was walk into an establishment and said, okay, well, here are your violations, here are your scores, and walked right back out, no one learned anything. They might understand, okay, I can't do this, but then they might turn around and do something that's like that that would still be the same violation, but they never realized it was a violation. And and that's why I really, I, I really come back around to education and the most important thing that we do. Uh, if we can't educate people, then, like I said, the scores come up. Uh, they understand. And there's always going to be mistakes. There will always be bad days. I, it just happens. Uh, no one is perfect. Everyone is human. 
and same with with inspectors I mean we we're not going to see everything and as we change out uh, what the previous inspector didn't see I might see differently um, even though we try to be as standardized as, pro as possible and the same across the board we may just not see the you know see that violation but the next time it is seen and um, I know sometimes owners can get upset about that because well no one marked it last time well you know I apologize we maybe we didn't see it but it's now time to get it addressed and taken care of yeah I think that's so interesting because I think that a lot of times consumers right we think that we think of health inspectors as being there on behalf of the public like you're there to look out for us and, and hold the restaurants accountable and certainly that's an important part of it but kind of what you're saying is that also an important part of it is to be there on behalf of the restaurant and be a, a partner for the, the people that are working in the kitchen and running the establishment. And, and there are a lot of establishments that they're actually happy to see us. Um, you know, we say, hey, these are the issues. They'll address it immediately. Most of the, even the minor violations, if they can take care of them right then and there, they will. Um, they look at it as we're, we're a different set of eyes that are not seeing the same place over and over, day in, day out. Uh, some of these establishments, I, I may be in a total of eight hours an entire year, and they're working 12 to 15 hours every day at the establishment. Um, so my contact time is a lot less, and I need to make the most of it, which, once again, back to the education part of um, informing them. Yeah, well, a lot of those restaurants are really proud of their inspections. Um, you, you guys do give um, a fair amount of perfect scores and good scores. I know that's how when we when we publish them, they're always kind of separating that. These are the people that got perfect scores, and these are the people that got in different scoring categories. So a lot of the restaurants, yeah, it doesn't surprise me to hear that they would be happy to see you because it's kind of an opportunity for them to show off that they're that they are following all of the rules. I, I do have a few places that we. Um, they won't even ask me what the violations were. They'd ask me if they get free advertising um, because it's it's published that, that they get 100. Um, I know from my point of view, though, places really, they work very hard. And if they've received 100, they've earned that 100. And it's, uh, uh, it, it, it's important to them. And there are places, you know, they might wind up with a 99 because there was a little issue. They'll take care of it and they'll be right back on top the next inspection. So um, we were talking a little bit about home kitchens, and I want to I want to circle back there. Um, so what do you, what is like the most common? Do you think um, food safety mistake that people make at home that you would recommend doing differently in your in your kitchen? To me, probably the most important thing is I would probably say date marking um, and cooking foods to proper temperatures. I think those are the the two most important. Um, Date marking, making sure that something isn't spoiling or going bad, um, making sure that, that it's wholesome and healthy food, and then making sure you're cooking things to proper um, temperatures, making sure your thermometer is calibrated so you know um, that you are getting the proper temperature. If your thermometer was brand new five years ago and you've never calibrated it, uh, it's probably time to check it and, and see what the calibration is and make sure it's accurate. And how do you calibrate a thermometer? Uh, the easy way. Now, you can go on YouTube. I'm sure if any of the, the listeners want to see like a hands-on approach um, to it, you can look on YouTube, certainly. Uh, but it's fairly simple. Basically, you just um, uh, a heavy amount of ice in a cup and then fill with water. And then you'll set your thermometer and your sh thermometer should read right around 32 degrees 
Yeah, sounds easy enough. It is. Something that yeah. I'm, I'm going to do tonight with my meat thermometer at home. So so when you're cooking at home, do you usually use a thermometer? Yes. And when yes. we talk temperatures, we're talking pretty much meats with that. Other, like, other things that you cook, produce and things like that, aren't as important. Yeah, and, and actually... Um, even going from raw meats, um, some of the red meats are, are a little different. Uh, people like to have those undercooked. Uh, making sure your pork and chicken is properly cooked. Um, but I would say even a bigger bigger item is making sure that you're reheating foods properly. Um, because one of the things, you, you, you go to a restaurant, you bring take home, and you just toss it in the cooler, or maybe it's still, or the refrigerator, and you make sure that it's still, or it might still be a little warm. Um, there's a potential for that bacteria growth, and you want to make sure that you're actually reheating to at least 165 degrees. Yeah, well, I want you to explain why that's so important, because um, at a low temperature, bacteria growth, like when something's in your fridge and kept at the proper temperature, bacteria growth is kind of kept in check at a low temperature, and at a high temperature, when something's cooked properly, it's in check. Is that medium area, that in between, that's kind of a risk? Can you explain sort of like the science and the risk behind that? So it's actually considered the uh, the temperature danger zone, uh, and it's uh, anything above 41 degrees or below 135 degrees. Uh, that's the prime area for bacteria to growth, or for bacterial growth. Mainly that seven to 135 degrees uh, is is when they bacteria really like to grow. And so making sure you're getting foods to a proper temperature uh, ensures any growth that might be on there is going to slow, stop, or even a, a potential kill for anything that, that could have grown on that food. So um, you're at risk of hitting that, um, that bacteria, that temperature danger zone, um, like if you're defrosting something. Uh, that's not in the fridge. Yes. I know is one of the risks, one of the things that people do at home, which is like to defrost things on the counter or in the sink. That yeah, would set, be a no set the no bag of chicken restaurant. outside yeah. and uh, on the counter and just let it sit there all day until it's thawed. Um, definitely do not recommend that in any way, shape, or form. Um, the best way to defrost something would be to leave it in the refrigerator and let it naturally thaw on its own. If you really need to get it thawed, put it in your sink with cold running water over it. Not soaking in water or anything like that, just cold running water. That way that it's you have the water flowing over it, you're making sure that the, the food's still staying in a uh, safer temperature, but you can still get that thaw. So you wouldn't you would not recommend defrosting something in the microwave. You can uh, you can do it as a part of the cooking process. If you are going to do that, make sure that you're you're not defrosting it in the microwave and throwing it back in the refrigerator. Uh, it really needs to be a part of the cooking process. Yeah, and I think that's really useful advice because we've all been there. Like you come home and oh, what are we going to have for dinner? I've got something in the freezer. So for those of you that hung with us for this whole part. Uh, whole podcast. <laughs> I hope that if you take something away, um, I hope you have a little bit of insight into what people like Justin do as a, a restaurant inspector and what you can do to to be more safe at home. So, well, thank you so much for being with us. I greatly appreciate it. Yeah, and happy to be here. Learned a lot from you. So thanks so much. And thank you for your work out there, uh, keeping these restaurants clean for, for those of us that patronize them. We do the best we can. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, 
freep.com or wherever you get your podcasts.